Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Michael Reed on LMFM. Friday morning, the 18th of October. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Against the odds, a Brexit deal was announced in Brussels yesterday. I have, I have to say that I'm happy about the deal, but I'm sad about Brexit. Have a good time. A deal which Jean-Claude Juncker said would be good for Ireland. It protects the rights of our citizens and it protects peace and stability on the island of Ireland. There will be no border on the island of Ireland, and the single market will be protected. The deal is not about us. The deal is about people and peace. Boris Johnson said the deal is good for Northern Ireland. It means that the UK leaves whole and entire on October the 31st, and it means that... uh, Northern Ireland and every other part of the UK can take part, uh, not just in free trade deals, offering our tariffs, exporting our goods uh, around the world, but it also means that uh, we can take together uh, as a single uh, United Kingdom decisions about our future, about our laws, our borders, our money, and how we want to run the UK. Taoiseach Leo Varadkar argued that this deal was different than any deal that had been proposed before. It creates a unique solution uh, for Northern Ireland, recognising the unique history and geography of Northern Ireland, uh, one which ensures that there is no hard border between North and South, one which allows the all-island economy to continue to develop, and one which protects the European single market and our place in it. Jacob Rees-Mogg encouraged the DUP to get on board. I hope my friends in the DUP will also find that what it does for the whole of the United Kingdom is something over which they can have comfort and support. But Sammy Wilson of the DUP has made it clear it will not have his party support. I can give you an absolute assurance that we will not be voting for the team uh, tomorrow when it comes before the House of Commons. Why would we? And there, the problem with this story is highlighted. We are told we have a deal. We don't have a deal. What we have is a deal that was designed to fail. Let's talk about this with Matt Carthy, Sinn Féin MEP. Good morning to you, Matt, and thanks for joining us here on the programme this morning. Undoubtedly, this deal will fail tomorrow, and so begins the election campaign. Well, good morning, Michael, and thanks for having me on. Um, It's very unclear at this stage, you're right, as to how Boris Johnson can secure a majority, although I don't think we can say with absolute certainty that he won't, um, but 
all the indications are that unless he manages to persuade somehow um, a fairly substantial in relative terms number of Labour MPs to back um, his deal, then he's not going to secure a majority in the Parliament to, tomorrow. One way or another, I think we're into a British general election. Why have 27 European countries a- agreed to this deal, do you think? Because I think it meets the needs and the priorities that the European Union has set. So at this stage in the negotiation, uh, in the negotiations, and remember this was supposed well, to it be doesn't. agreed back. It, it doesn't. I'd have to argue it, it doesn't. Uh, maybe uh, what's being proposed does, but if it's not ratified, it doesn't, because it doesn't exist if it's not ratified. No, absolutely. But in terms of when you're in a negotiations or uh, negotiations process, all you can do is put forward your own priorities and ensure that the end result in terms of the negotiating outcome um, reflects what it is that you have set as your priorities. Then obviously it is up to both sets of institutions because this also needs to be ratified by the European Parliament and other European institutions mm. um, but and, and uh, as well as the, the British government. So in terms of the the four key issues that the European Union had set, there was the issue in relation to citizens' rights, mm. citizens, um, EU citizens living in Britain and vice versa, the issue in relation to the financial settlement, the issue in relation to Ireland, and the issue in relation to a political declaration that set out the parameters by which a future relationship between um, Britain and the EU mm. would evolve. In terms of the priorities that the EU had set, they have been met, albeit with a bit of compromise. Well, they're not they going to be met. Satisfaction. But now, of course, the question is whether or not both sets of interest. Well, they're not going to be met. Uh, and Bar- Bar- Boris Johnson is often portrayed as a bit of a, a buffoon, a, a bit of a, a joker, but perhaps he's the cleverest and the most cunning of all in that he has managed to get 27 countries to launch his general election campaign. He told the people of the United Kingdom that he would leave on the 31st of October with or without a deal, but he wanted to get a deal. He got the deal. So, as far as the people of the United Kingdom are concerned, he's a man of his word. The deal, however, was designed to fail. And it's now the Tory strategy to win the election with the support of the 27 European countries because they're supporting this deal and therefore they're supporting the Boris general election campaign. But tomorrow, the MPs in the House of Commons will reject the deal. That's not Boris's fault. That's the MPs' fault. That's the opposition's fault. And those same MPs are going to make him seek an extension. That's not Boris's fault either. This is a genius, is it not? Well, who knows? All I can um, say and all I can speak for is our own position as an Irish political party that has been incredibly active within the European Parliament. What we have set as our priority has been the insurance that the EU didn't blink in relation to ensure that we had special arrangements that were required to reflect our own geographic and mm. political circumstances on the island of Ireland. We put that forward initially as a proposal that we called a special status for the north of Ireland. Um, that evolved into the backstop and it subsequently um, evolved into the proposals that are outlined within the withdrawal agreement. All of those have been on the basis that we recognise that there's no such thing as a good Brexit for Ireland. And what we have argued for is a mechanism by which the damage that Brexit will inflict in our country will be minimised. So from our point of view, we are satisfied that the mm. European Union has held firm 
in relation to that and and and, 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 and our message and our job from here on in regardless of what happens in mm, terms of the British despite yourself because, you're endorsing the Tories general election campaign to be honest with you uh, Michael it makes almost no difference to me as an Irish Republican who the British Prime Minister is the British Prime Minister will always advocate primarily mm. on behalf of the people of England that's historically the case what we need to do is ensure that we are in a strong position in terms of negotiating with those British Prime but that's all this Prime is Minister. this is just a game isn't it this is a game of politics that Boris Johnson is playing with you and all of the political parties across the other 27 countries listen as I say I think there's two areas that are being um, convoluted here one is the internal British politics from what I gather the Tory party and Boris Johnson in particular are pulling out all of the stops to ensure that this deal is um, is passed tomorrow. So there's no inference that their efforts are lukewarm. Um, if anything, um, there could be an argument that Boris Johnson's position now will be weakened in terms of that hard Brexiteer vote that he has been trying to court um, since he first announced mm. his leadership position. But all of that... Well, is, is if, he, if it passes tomorrow, he'll have left with a deal as promised on the 31st. It's uh, win uh, if it passes, it's win if it doesn't pass as far as Boris Johnson is concerned, is it not? We'll see what happens tomorrow. If this deal is adopted by the British House of Commons, well, then that's fair enough as far as I'm concerned. We have big constitutional conversations that we need to have in our own country, but I think we'll be able to do those in a more planned and managed way in the event that this deal is secured over the months and years ahead. If this deal isn't passed and there's an extension sought, well, I think we have very clear whoever the next Prime Minister is is going to be coming in to negotiate on the basis of the deal that was agreed yesterday. There is going to be very little scope for manoeuvre, or if for one reason or another, the political machination results in a second referendum in Britain that returns a remain vote, well then, likewise, the position with regard to Ireland is protected. So from our point of view, our, our most important job as elected representatives at a European level was to ensure that we didn't have a deal that undermined Ireland to such an extent that our political, economic and social fabric would be undermined, which would, would have been the case were it not for the fact that we ensured that Irish interests were central to the British negotiations from the outset. And all I can say is, as a Sinn representative is that I'm very proud that we have played a very significant and important part in ensuring that that would be the case. Okay, are you uh, of the opinion that a general election in the United Kingdom is now inevitable in the coming weeks? It's really hard to know because what happens if there's an ex- if, if, if Boris Johnson is forced seek an extension and what position will the British Labour Party take in that? The opinion polls that I've saw over the course of the last week indicate that the Tories have about a 12% um, um, lead um, albeit very volatile so the Labour Party um, may be in a position where they decide that they will force Boris Johnson to remain in government but not in power as has been the case in terms of the votes that have taken place. So this is the Mm. circus that has been Westminster almost since 2016, certainly since um, Theresa May made that... If the deal is rejected tomorrow. If the deal is rejected tomorrow, I presume that there will be a motion passed uh, or that the Ben Act will either 
be uh, be enacted, which will force um, Boris Johnson to seek an extension, or there will be a further um, um, resolution on the part of the House of Commons that will say something of a similar similar ilk, um, and then we're into the position where we'll be depending on the EU leaders to grant an extension. But for now, okay. there, is a, there is a vote before tomorrow. And, and, and if it goes into a general election, uh, you're looking at Boris Johnson making his Brexit arguments, you're looking at the Brexit party uh, giving him a run for his money, and people will be looking at Westminster in Northern Ireland. Is this the time that Sinn Féin will campaign on the basis to take up their seats in Westminster? All of the machinations that we've just discussed, all of the antics that we've seen in Westminster over the past number of years and the antics that unfortunately we're likely to see for the next number of years reinforce, I believe, the position of the Irish Republican and Nationalist community and those Irish citizens who live in the North who have as little to do with Westminster as possible. The reason that we're in this position is because... Of the DUP. It's because of the DUP and because they have 10 seats in Westminster and that made them kingmakers. Now, will Sinn Féin uh, counter that by taking up its seats in Westminster? Well, first of all, the DUP, as I think you will have recalled listening to their spokespersons over the past 24 hours, are far from kingmakers. Secondly, and let's just... They have been up to now. Let's just knock this on the head once and for all, Michael. Imagine tomorrow that Sinn Féin MPs took their seats in Westminster. People have talked about maybe small margins of five or six or seven seats. Well, sure, all it takes is one. Were Sinn Féin to enter into the House of Commons, recognising the looks and the, uh, the paranoias that exist within British politics at the moment, that would drive further numbers of MPs and to the opposite position that Sinn Féin take in that regard. So, well, that makes you was, irrelevant then going into a, a general yeah, election campaign, absolutely. doesn't it? In that the next general election in the United Kingdom is going to be a referendum in itself on Brexit. And if Sinn Féin is not willing to play a role in that, perhaps it's time for Sinn Féin to endorse people who will, perhaps in the SCLP. Michael, Michael, um, you're, you seem very agitated to, this morning. This is the good thing about elections. The people in the North will have a choice. And the SDLP will be standing for elections, I imagine, in almost every constituency. And, uh, and, uh, and, and, and they'll go and vote from a national perspective in the Parliament that will be deciding on Brexit. And let me say this, for all of your Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael supporters... I'm not talking about them. The past mm, years, yeah. let's, let's make the offer to them. They're also welcome to contest elections in the North on the basis that they will swear an oath of allegiance to a British Queen and that they will enter into that circus that is Westminster rather than doing what Sinn Féin have been doing and will continue to do, mm. which is actually fighting for Ireland's case in the places that matter, including the European Parliament, where we have actually delivered um, in ensuring that Irish interests have been central but, to the Confederation because the DUP or nobody else has ever been able to ensure that Irish interests were of any concern to English politicians. Why is there a vote for Sinn Féin in Northern Ireland if you won't take seats in Stormont and you won't take seats in Westminster, uh, but you will take expenses? Well, um, first, of, first of all, um, there's votes for Sinn Féin on the basis of our policy platform and on the basis of our record of work. And we were in Stormont for 10 years, as you know well, Michael, and we... But you're voting people to government. When you go to when you go into the polls, when you vote in an election, you're voting people into government. Sinn Féin won't take its seats in government. Sinn Féin, 
want to be in government in the north, but we're only going to actually go into government if we can deliver for people. We're not Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael. We don't go into government for the sake of power or the Mercs or the Perks. Mm. We get into politics well, in order to well, deliver for people. Well, your MLAs are taking salaries and they're taking expenses, whether they spend that on Mercs or Perks or whatever, I don't know. But Michael, they're not governing. Michael, they're not in government. They're a thousand days out of government and have never been in government in Westminster. What's the point in voting for Sinn Féin if a vote, a nationalist vote, could result in Brexit uh, being uh, uh, forgotten about or done in a way that wouldn't uh, impoverish Irish people? I don't know what I've done to upset you, Michael, because usually myself and yourself are able to have civil conversation. But let me say this. Oh, I'm sorry if it's not civil. I'm just asking you questions. Okay, well, let's go to the crux of it. What exactly do people want us to go into Westminster to vote for? Because only last month, I had lectures from political representatives mm. in this state telling me that Sinn Féin should go into Westminster in order to stop Brexit. I've never Today, put that question to you because you've always campaigned on the basis that you would not go into Westminster. Exactly. That's, a, that's, a, that's the Sinn Féin policy of, of abstentionism. But but, um, but 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 what I'm not asking about the past. I'm not asking about the present. I'm asking about the future. In a general election, is the time not now, given the crisis that is Brexit, for Sinn Féin to take up its seats? No, because it won't make any difference. The place where uh, Sinn Féin and Irish representatives from the north can make difference is in places like the European Parliament. It's in Stormont when we get the institutions up and running, when we can actually ensure that we have a government that will deliver for people across a range of issues, including upholding fundamental human rights that are available to every other citizen on both of these islands. And when we can deliver that, yes, we'll be in Stormont, but we won't be in Westminster Mm. because we have a century um, long and more of evidences that Irish representatives in Westminster cannot ever uh, assert the wishes of English priorities because they will always be the priority of Westminster institutions. And the DUP have found that out in the last 24 hours to their own cost. The place for decisions affecting Ireland to be made are in Ireland or internationally as part of collective arrangements, whether that be in the EU or others, but where the Irish people are treated as equals. That is not the case in Westminster. We're not going to perpetuate the inequalities that um, are result as a result of the partition of our country. Our job is to actually undo the partition of our country, and that's where we're setting our focus now and into the months and years ahead. And in the interim, Mm. we're going to do everything in our power to ensure that the antics of British government vis-a-vis issues like Brexit are minimised and that we can try and reduce the damages that their actions cause. And that's what has been our priority since the Brexit process first began. And we have been okay. successful in ensuring that that has been centred in terms of the EU position. Okay, Matt, listen, thanks uh, very much for uh, joining us. And I didn't mean to be sniping at you, and I do I do want to say that I didn't mean to be sniping at you uh, because uh, I just uh, feel that Boris Johnson has uh, pulled the wall over the eyes of uh, the 27 European leaders. Uh, I believe uh, that we have everybody in this country, in Northern Ireland, across mainland Britain, and undoubtedly across Europe, talking about a deal, a deal that doesn't exist and what actually happened yesterday was the beginning of the general election campaign so that is uh, I think We had uh, a situation where the European Union had moved substantially on the substantive points of the negotiations and I would agree with you the fact of the matter is that the people who moved during the talks process of recent weeks were the British government 
Um, so what we now need to do is remain focused, absolutely. Mm. Let's see what happens tomorrow. Yeah, I'll eat my hat if we're not talking on Sunday or Monday about a, a general election a campaign that was launched yesterday. Well, let's see. And okay. let's hope that the people of the North vote for abstentionist Irish Republican MPs to send a very clear message to Westminster that we no longer want to be part of their circuit. OK, thank you indeed for joining us here on the programme this morning. Matt Carthy, Sinn Féin MEP. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. National Slowdown Day began at 7 o'clock uh, this morning. It's a 24-hour road safety speed initiative and will conclude at 7 o'clock uh, tomorrow morning. The aim is to remind you of uh, the dangers of speeding, increase compliance with speed limits and deter excessive or inappropriate speed. So if you are on the roads and you are speeding, there's probably more of a, a chance of you being detected today. Tony Toner, training director with the Institute of Advanced Motorists of Ireland is on the line. Good morning Tony and thanks for joining us. I'm not sure if uh, they chose to do it today rather than next week because the Go Safe operators are due to strike uh, but it is a good initiative uh, and one which will hopefully stop the kind of behaviour that Gardaí have been reporting. I'm not sure if you've uh, seen some of uh, the highest speeds that they've recorded on Go Safe cameras uh, from January up to October but they really are remarkable. If you don't mind I'll just read them out for you and our listeners. In Tipperary somebody was found doing 145 in a 50 kilometre zone. In Limerick somebody 188 kilometres in a 60 kilometre zone. In Westmeath 189 kilometres in an 80 kilometre zone. In Clare 190 kilometres in a 120 kilometre zone. And in Donegal one individual was recorded to be driving at 223 kilometres an hour in a 100 kilometre an hour zone. Now as somebody who is an expert in road safety I'm sure you've thoughts on some of those excessive speeds Tony <laughs> well you, you can't justify it um, the fact that the car the vehicle has the potential to do it doesn't mean you should go there um, it, it, it's it's just crazy stuff um, that type of speeds and, and they are I suppose the flagship speeds that are that are, are are going to be rolled out by the RSA and justifiably so uh, when the speed the speed vans are catching uh, this sort of uh, behaviour. But the vast majority of people, Michael, that are caught for speeding are caught, you know, probably within ten, twelve, fifteen kilometres over the posted speed mm. limit, doing and sixty in a fifty zone. Yeah, all of that. And they come home and they kick the cat around the kitchen because of points of my license and all of that stuff. And Mm. it's frustrating and it's annoying. And while there was nothing dangerous in what they were doing, the action was that they were in excess of the posted speed limit for the area they were travelling through. Um, And, you know, I'd like to see, I suppose a rollout of 365 days a year, mm. not just one day of the year being highlighted. And it is up to us as drivers um, to get our act together. Um, we're, we're all running to an agenda. We're all running to an appointment where we're, we're going to pick up kids yeah. from school or, again, as I said, a doctor's appointment, um, a flight at an airport. Mm. If we get delayed at the house before we leave we're now playing catch up mm. or, or sometimes it's, it's distraction I mean you could find yourself going downhill in an area you're not used to uh, and exceed the speed limit uh, without knowing it 
Michael, it's amazing the amount of mm. people that we go out with and they simply do not pick up the posted speed limit. And there are repeater signs or continuity mm. signs all over the place. The small little sign you'll see with 80 on it mm. or with 60 on it or whatever. You'll see these repeater signs. All, and people generally, and mm. not everybody, but people generally do not pick up the signs. And, and, and and there's that and the other thing, which is what I meant is, let's say you're driving at 50 and you're consciously driving at 50, uh, but then uh, you're not watching the clock uh, and you end up going downhill and the car starts to accelerate and suddenly you're at 60 without knowing it. Absolutely, Michael. Mm. And here, like I live in, in, in on the north side of Dublin City and you have 50k zones like in, mm. on a lot of the roads, but you come into some of the residential areas and it's 30k. Mm. And, there, and there's, like, there's plenty of estates across the country like that. Uh, Shane Ross was talking about uh, increased uh, penalties uh, for people depending on how much they exceeded the limit by. Uh, if somebody is doing 223 kilometres an hour, as was the case with some individual in Donegal, uh, surely they should be put off the road for life. Well, our colleagues in, in on the continent, particularly France and all that stuff, if you're caught doing speeds like that, the, the actual car is taken off you, and I think the car is crushed. Uh, I mean, they're very, very severe penalties. Um, you know, it, it is um, there's a there's there's a percentage over the speed limit that if you are caught within uh, those parameters, there are very, very mm. stringent fines. Um, and like, there's nobody can go out there and do that sort of speed and not know they're doing that sort of speed. Whereas. As, as you said there, with distraction, and, and not alone distraction, Michael, mm. in the modern-day car, they are so competent that it is so easy for the speed to creep up inadvertently, and you have to keep concentration on it. Cruise control should be your best friend in open road areas. Um, it is so easy to exceed the speed limit, but it's not easy to exceed the speed limit to 223 kilometres an hour. That's a deliberate act. Mm. Uh, you know, there's nothing... Uh, oh, I imagine every uh, bone in your body is rattling at that stage. Well, you know, again, mm. the modern car is well able to do it. Ah, uh, yeah, but the adrenaline that comes with something like that, that speed... That is dangerous mm. driving. And un- under the law, mm. and dangerous driving, Michael, not to go um, full theory on it, is the act of driving a car in a public place in a manner, including speed, which have in regard to the conditions prevailing at the time of road weather traffic, rendered the driving of that vehicle dangerous to the public. Mm. So you can you can apply that to any speed, even under the speed limit. Yeah. You that know, says you, might, you may be able to do 120 kilometres uh, uh, as a maximum speed on a motorway, but if you can't see your hand in front of your face because the fog is so thick, you should reduce that speed considerably right. because you don't know what's going to happen. Yet. All right, uh, I'm sure, uh, Tony, before you finish up with this uh, today, you'd encourage people not to speed uh, because uh, there's more of a chance that they get caught today, uh, but there's also their own well-being as well as the well-being of others. Oh, well, listen, absolutely, and you don't need poisoning a license. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you don't need um, uh, what do you call it the embarrassment of it you don't need again the poor cat doesn't need to be kicked around the kitchen I mean mm. you know that's it but human error and we're all guilty of that human error just be mindful keep an eye on us use cruise control in the open road areas leave in a bit of time and for the people who control our road networks particularly the likes of roadworks and all that stuff they should be using people like yourselves well in advance and telling us okay folks next week 
Wednesday. We have road work starting on the Denor Road. There are going to be delays. Put some mm-hmm. extra time into it, and they should flag that well in time. Okay. So people aren't coming out trying to make up time. All right, Tony, uh, we might uh, pass your number on to the ISPCA. I'm starting to get worried about the cats, uh, but we'll leave it there for the moment, and thank you indeed for joining us. Tony Toner, Training Director with uh, the Institute of Advanced Motorists of Ireland. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, most of us uh, will be worse off by the government's own admission next year as a result of the budget, and the reason for that is uh, that the budget allowed uh, for a hard Brexit Uh, No deal Brexit and everything that was announced in October was overshadowed by Brexit. But if we're to have a deal, there should be a supplementary budget. This is uh, the view of SIP2, Michael Taft, SIP2 researcher and uh, member of uh, the Living Wage Technical Group is on the line. Uh, Very good morning to you, Michael, and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, And uh, you've been looking at uh, the numbers and as a result of inflation, there's no doubt that we will all be worse off. and uh, pensioners, uh, you contend, will be down €168 Euro a year. That's correct. A single pensioner would need an increase of €168 Euros a year, or about €3.20 a week, just to keep uh, pace uh, with uh, price increases or inflation. Inflation, according to the government, will run uh, about 1.3%. Uh, so if you are not keeping pace with uh, prices, with inflation, you're taking what's called a real cut because the value of your payment falls by the amount of inflation. Mm. Uh, that's for a single person. For uh, a couple uh, who are of pensionable age, um, the loss would be something. They would need to increase their payment by uh, over 300 euros um over the year or six euros a week. Yeah, and, and that, that despite, pertains to all social protection recipients, Of course, by yeah. The way. Uh, and despite the increase in uh, the fuel allowance, pensioners will still be hit. That's right. The fuel allowance was increased by two euros a week, but that only runs for 28 weeks. So annualized over the year, that's a little over one euro. Um, uh, so, you know... Uh, that still doesn't reach the three euros. And it has to be remembered, uh, though I don't have actually the proportions on this, but it is means-tested. So if you're a single pensioner uh, earning over 350, or receiving over 350 euros a week, uh, you may not qualify uh, for the uh, fuel allowance. Uh, but even if you do, it, it comes out to about one euro a week. Mm. And it's to offset uh, the increase in the cost of fuel, of course, because uh, fuel is to become more expensive because of the carbon tax. That's right. The, uh, the government hasn't actually provided us a separate assessment of the impact that uh, the increase in carbon tax uh, will have uh, on inflation or on living standards. They've just given us you know, a global inflation rate. Uh, but there's no doubt that if you take inflation into account and then you take uh, carbon tax, and a carbon tax is going to hit people on the lowest income the most because they, more of their income is uh, eaten up with, you know, energy costs. Mm. So, uh, you know, there'll be a, a, a loser by that standard as well. All right. Uh there's usually winners and losers in every budget, but uh, as far as this budget goes, uh, those who are on social welfare really gained little or nothing. Well, they actually lost. They, they actually lost in real terms when you take account of inflation. Social protection payments uh, uh, were not increased. Uh, 
Uh, and that's across the board. That's, you know, that's pensioners, that's people who are unemployed, uh, people who are on illness benefit, uh, maternity benefits. None of those uh, uh, were increased. Uh, I would think that when you, when a government is approaching a budget, even when there are you know, limited resources, and every year you always have limited resources, the first thing you do is to ensure that at the very least, uh, those on the lowest incomes, whether they're in work or out of work, uh, don't uh, uh, suffer a real cut. Don't, you know, their living mm. standards aren't cut. In this budget, not only was it social protection recipients did not receive an increase, the minimum wage was um, uh, delayed. The, the uh, increase in the minimum wage has been delayed. We think Can- until March, but it might be late. Well, cancelled, according to Jed Nash. I was ca- talking to Jed Nash, uh, the Labour senator. He was uh, the minister at the time who introduced that legislation, and he says that it has not been postponed, that in fact it has been cancelled because of uh, the way the legislation has uh, been constructed and uh, that the Commission cannot make further proposals until next summer uh, and then they cannot be announced until the budget of next year and then that can take effect uh, in January of uh, 2021. Well, uh, listen, uh, Senator Nash would would know more about this mm. than, than I would, those type of details. I hadn't heard that before. If that is the case, that's even more worrying because that means that uh, people on the minimum wage uh, uh, won't get any increase at any time uh, next year. That's certainly not how the government is spinning it. But, uh, you know, I think we'll have mm. to kind of, you know, we'll have to follow up on uh, Senator, what Senator Nash has said, mm. because that would be extremely worrying. Yeah, and uh, inflation is increasing, uh, as you say. It's uh, to run to 1.3% next year. That's up from just under a percent this year and up to 1.4% uh, the year after in 2021. Uh, so when you're on such a small income, uh, you really are struggling to come up uh, with uh, the difference in uh, prices, uh, these increases that people will have to face. That's correct. And I mean, if we just kind of focus on pensioners, because they, they, they face a particular issue insofar as they, they do have fixed income, you know, they, mm. they won't have an opportunity to maybe get a job in the future or take up extra work or stuff like that. For the most part, they won't. But uh, according to the CSO's latest figures, one out of every 10 uh, person over the age of 65 lives in deprivation conditions. They have multiple deprivation experiences. So, you know, that, that's, that's really the poverty level. So one in ten. Uh, over 40% can't afford to meet an unexpected expense. And over 60% are finding it difficult to make ends meet. So I think, and that's just among, you know, uh, um, uh, older people who are in pensions. So I think that gives a real insight uh, you know, to, into the uh, you know, struggles that people have every day. Okay, we'll leave it there for the moment, Michael. Thank you indeed for joining us, though. That's Michael Taft, SIPTU researcher and a member of uh, the Living Wage Technical Group. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, let's find out what you've been saying to us. Maggie is here with some of uh, the calls and comments that have been coming to us uh, this morning. Good morning to you, Maggie. Good morning, Michael. It's been really busy on the phone since oh, morning. Oh, OK, right. Um, can you take a wild guess what people are calling in about? Um, Brexit? That's it. That's the one, <laughs> <Okay>. surprisingly. Surprisingly. <laughs> right. yeah. um, mm. and on the are, are they calling in about the deal or are they calling in about the general election? 
Um, both actually. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, we're yeah, catering yeah, for all yeah. needs this mm, morning. Very good. Um, Anne Androhada says that there's finally light at the end of the tunnel and it looks like we may have a deal. Well done to all involved and for managing to get a good deal for Ireland, one that protects a Good Friday agreement. Oh dear. Um, but she goes on to say that now things are sorted at a European level. Can we please get back to tackling the issues at domestic level because they've suffered terribly while all the focus has been on Brexit? Mm, I don't think we're over yet. No, I don't no, think so I too. I don't think so. And mm. Sean was in contact in relation to your piece with Matt Carthy um, no. he says he's a Sinn Féin supporter he's voted for them since he was 18 years of age and he couldn't believe what he was hearing from Matt how can Sinn Féin maintain that they want to have a say in the running of this country when their reps refuse to take up their seats in Westminster um, they can't have it both ways Sean says if elected to political seats then they should take them up um, and basically help govern they're being completely hypocritical he says he's livid with them because he's always believed that they had the country's best interests at heart but now he's not so sure oh ok right uh, I, I take it he's not actually a Sinn Féin supporter but anyway oh well, no he uh, actually is I know what well, he says he is you see people do that they ring you up and they say I'm a Sinn Féin supporter but uh, and then they make it sound as though they're uh, anyway we'll take that as a political comment ok <laughs> well Tracy welcome to I'm sorry to be so cynical but I am just Oh, I don't know. It's your job, Mike. Yeah, I know. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. it. That's what you get paid to do. Yeah. Um, Tracy welcomes the idea that um, a deal is on the table, but she says she'd hold off on the celebrations until after tomorrow's vote. Given the reaction from the DUP um, so far, it's hard to see the deal going through. She, she believes that we'll be back to the drawing board come Monday morning. All right. Well, it's not just the DUP. Uh, there's strong opposition to the deal. We'll hear why uh, other people are opposed to it uh, for that matter. Uh, let's uh, hear the views of uh, the Labour Party. John MacDonald has been speaking to the BBC. We know what he's up to. We know what he's about. He's about reducing the protections that we were even offered by Theresa May, taking it out of the, what would be an international treaty and then coming to savage trade union rights. No one will be safe at work when Boris Johnson is in power with these rights. Well, that's... Uh a bad deal according to Labour but if they were to vote for it uh, maybe they would vote for people to vote on it uh, as to whether they would approve uh, the deal in other words put it back to the people uh, to allow for a referendum Well we're saying that a deal should go back to the the people the people should be the final arbiters of a way forward and that would enable our argument there should be a sensible option going back to the people with the option to remain as well but if if this deal, um, if the government wants to get this deal through, I, I don't see why Boris Johnson shouldn't have the confidence to put his deal to the British people as well. Well, he might and uh, he might not. I don't know if uh, he really gives a, a toss about what the Labour Party or the DUP thinks for that matter. He might care uh, about what Nigel Farage thinks. And Nigel Farage has been giving his thoughts on LBC. We've, we have literally today surrendered any idea that we will take back our territorial waters. So, to get to a free trade agreement, we're going to have to make huge democratic sacrifices. You see, the argument we're taking back control of our laws, our money and our borders doesn't work if we stay in regulatory alignment because we will basically have to accept all new EU laws and rules over which, of course, we will now have, if if we've technically left the European Union, have no say whatsoever. Ever. So, look, I think it's absolutely awful. I'm pretty depressed about what's been agreed today. It certainly isn't Brexit. I'm very worried about Nigel Farage. I never thought I'd hear him say he was depressed. Uh, Let's hope uh, he cheers up soon. Uh, It's a deal uh, that uh, some people are depressed over, some people are very happy about. Uh, BBC has been in Northern Ireland and gauging the views of people there in Belfast and in Lisburn. I know Arling Foster saying that 
she doesn't want Northern Ireland treated any differently from the UK and I get that from her perspective but geographically it is different and I think people have to be logical and rational about it. Well of course I'm not for it. I agree with the DUP because that's Asia's into an all Ireland and I'm not for that. I think they've, they've managed to extract plenty of cash from the Exchequer and I would say there probably could be another deal in, in the making because to me it's going to affect industry and business in Northern Ireland so uh, obviously they're going to need more to compensate for that. That's not a deal, that's a conspiracy. It's a backdoor to something else, an economic all earned and if the Tories think that we're going to accept that, they've no income. The parties here, especially the DUP, need to listen to the business community, the farmers whom they've completely ignored. Well, I would be a DUP supporter. I think a DUP have to concede something here, but whether it's going to happen or not is another question. People in Belfast and in Lisburn speaking to the BBC. Well, I'm um, staying with the DUP. Mary was in contact to say um, she thinks that the no, no, no DUP are probably as sick as parrots today. Who'd have thought that Boris and his pals would sell them out? She says it's inter- it'll be interesting to see what Ireland and, and Co will do next. Mm. Well, I think they're going to continue to say no, no, no. I really, think it was Mary's. inevitable. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's the other side of it. It's a bit, a bit like watching a very, very slow car crash. Uh, I think everything is playing out uh, as probably expected. Um, on Boris Johnson, um a man or woman describing mm. themselves as a right-wing deplorable text in saying that the only ones who thought Boris was to quote a buffoon and not actually to quote again a genius were the left-wing EU-loving fanatics like yourself, Michael, and the rest of the Irish media. <laughs> OK. So there you go with that. Um, Thomas says we shouldn't be holding mm. our breath for this deal to go through. The DUP have flatly refused to back it and undoubtedly other MEP other MPs will follow suit so the chances of the deal being passed are minuscule we'll be talking about Brexit for months if not years to come. Well I think we'll be talking about the next general election uh, and uh, how the individual parties will fight the next election. I think the next election in the United Kingdom will be one of the most important elections that has been held there here uh, in a very long time. Well on that note Deirdre's says exactly what you're saying, that the deal has been rushed through just to facilitate a general election in the UK and so that Boris can ride this wave of success and regain his role and she doesn't think um, the deal should be rushed Mm. through just to facilitate that. Um, I I think he'd probably be happy uh, if it's passed in the Parliament tomorrow uh, as well. Uh, Won't sit well with the DUP, obviously. Uh, But uh, Boris will have done what he said he'd do Mm. and so on. Uh, But I'd be surprised if he's actually expecting it to carry. Well, that's it. Mm. But I mean, it's, as you said in, in your interview earlier with Mark Carthy and Mike Martin actually mm. rang in to agree with you. So it's Friday, somebody's agreeing with Oh Michael. my God, there's something wrong I know, here. I'm glad yeah, you were yeah, sitting yeah, down yeah, for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Martin says so he thinks you were right, that Boris is in a win-win situation. If it goes through, he's a legend to manage to yeah. broker the deal, mm. avoid a hard border, etc, etc. Mm. But if it's defeated by the DUP and others, well then he gets to de- blame the defeat on them, so yeah. he's a hero either way. Mm. For a man who's known for his political blustering, it's almost a stroke of genius, mm. he says. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. and... Um, John from West Dublin was listening to your piece with McCarthy. Mm. He's astonished at the way you spoke to him. He said he's never heard anyone speaking to a public representative like that. Um, no, he should listen more often. He should do. <laughs> well, he actually says he does listen every morning. Well, he does yeah, listen I don't, every... He obviously doesn't. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe. Um, he says that he doesn't think that there's anyone in the Republic who has an allegiance to the Crown, no matter what their political party. He 
described himself as a Republican, mm. but he didn't vote for Sinn Féin. Yep. He wants a bit of fairness. It's all right for the unionists to reject everything. He says he listens to the show every mm. morning and he's really annoyed at how you spoke to Mr. Carr. OK, well, I mean, uh, if we're going into an election uh, and that's the way he feels, if he was in the North, he would vote for Sinn Féin. But if you were in the North and you wanted somebody to go to Westminster, well, then that's the question that was being asked of <laughs> Matt Carthy. Uh, if the answer is no and you're happy with that as a voter, well, that's who you'll vote for. If the answer is no and you're not ha- happy with it, well, then perhaps you'll look to vote for somebody else. And I suppose that's uh, 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 in uh, the light of an election looming. Well, I mean, that mm-hmm. goes back to Sean. Sean's earlier yep. comment, mm-hmm. who was a Sinn Féin supporter, and he yep. did on the mm-hmm. phone in genuine. Yep. He was actually really annoyed and really upset, and he said that he's considering changing his vote, basically, based on what he said this morning, because okay. he mm-hmm. feels you can't say one thing and, and do another, basically, mm-hmm. or be yep. hypocritical mm-hmm. in how yep. you do. Either you take up your seat or you well, don't. I'd actually be surprised uh, if he is a Sinn Féin supporter, because I'd be very surprised if any true Sinn Féin supporter would want Sinn Féin to take seats in, in the, the House of Commons yeah. in Westminster. Yeah. Mm. Well, look, on the subject of an election, mm. James Andrada said, get ready for an election, Michael. If this deal goes through on Saturday, we could have an election before Christmas. Fine Gael will want to capitalise on getting the deal and avoiding a hard Brexit. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's possible that it's possible there will be an election in May, as uh, the Taoiseach has been arguing. Uh, it's also possible that uh, there will be an election in November, which uh, the Taoiseach has not ruled out altogether. Yeah, we're just going to pretend mm. that's not going to happen. <laughs> we can't have an election before Christmas. You're, you're feeling tired already, are you? Well, at the nice. thoughts of it, yeah. I just want Christmas yeah. first, and okay. then we just deal with an election after that. Okay, probably a lot of people would feel that way. Oh, well, apparently, eighty percent of people are in favour of a, a November election, according to yeah, the papers this saw morning. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have yeah, not met yeah, one person yeah, who is in that eighty percent. And I would say to the eighty percent, careful what you wish for. Oh God, mm, don't mm, even joke mm. about it. Well, look, go, moving on to the subject of speeding and your piece with Tony Toner. Oh, I'll, yeah. I'll finish mm, up because mm, I know mm. the time's against yeah. us. But um, John and Mead says that the Gardaí need to stop in. Um, all over the media talking about these campaigns and actually go out on the road with checkpoints on a more regular basis. That might help reduce the speeding problems on the road. Mm. And to finish up, Mick from Fingal says it's good to hear the anti-speeding campaign on the airwaves because it hammers home the message the speeding kills and it may give listeners uh, reason to pause while driving. On the same note, he thinks that a lot of people don't really respect the speed detection vans because rightly or wrongly, they believe that they're simply cash cows for their owners because mm. they're parked in areas where speeding isn't really an issue and drivers you know, are of the assumption mm. that they're kind of just revenue generators. Maybe if there are more visible areas where there's accident black spots or at notorious speeding spots, mm. then the public would have more respect for them and feel they're of more benefit okay. in the road safety All issue. Right. Uh, if uh, you were in government, uh, what would you do with somebody driving at 223 kilometres an hour? Ban them for mm. indefinitely, really. Mm. Like, I mean, what incredible, would you, isn't it? What did yeah. you say, 100 and something, 140 mm. in a 50 zone? Mm. Mm. What? What? <laughs> what do you do with that? Like, yeah, I know. You know? Yeah. All right, we'll uh, leave it uh, on uh, that farcical note. Uh, but thanks uh, for that, Maggie. Thanks to everybody who's been in touch with us. If you'd like to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 1850-715-958. Michael Reed on LMFM. What's wrong with this deal? The DUP's Sammy Wilson spelled it out to BBC Radio 4 today. This deal goes against everything, first of all, that the government promised uh, they would not uh, do to Northern Ireland, i.e. siphoning us off from the rest of the United Kingdom, putting a border down the REC, ensuring that businesses in Northern Ireland faced additional costs, administrative burdens and isolation from the GB market. And at the same time, I mean, this is the insult to injury, overturning all of the safeguards which there are in the 
um, Belfast Agreement, which they say has to be defended line by line um, by changing the voting system to ensure that the arrangements that we go into in, in terms of regulatory alignment and customs union cannot be right. um, uh, re- uh, removed by the Northern Ireland Assembly. Sammy Wilson speaking to BBC Radio 4. The Minister for European Affairs, Helen McEntee, is on the line with us. Good morning, Minister, and uh, thank morning, you for Michael. joining us. Uh, when this deal is defeated tomorrow, what then? Well, firstly, um, I suppose we, we don't know whether it will be defeated or whether it will pass, um, and that's obviously a matter for the House of Commons. Um, I think maybe just to, to touch on some of the, the comments that were mentioned there, I think first and foremost, it must be clear, and, and I think it's important that people understand that as part of this deal, Northern Ireland will remain as part of the UK Customs Union. Um, there will be a special and specific arrangement, I think, taking into account the fact that Northern Ireland is unique, that it has a unique history and that it has, um, I, I suppose, in the past needed unique and specific solutions. And we've seen that with the Good Friday Agreement. We will have essentially a situation and, and to take it back maybe to our own priorities and, and people who are listening will have heard me say many, many times the objectives that we set ourselves is to protect the peace process and the Good Friday Agreement, to protect uh, the cooperation that has evolved from that, to prevent any kind of border re-emerging on this island, but also to protect the all-island economy. And that includes business north and south. This deal does just that. Um, it might do it in a, very, in a slightly different way to the backstop, which we have discussed again many times, but it, it fulfills all of those objectives. And what we are trying to, I suppose, ensure is that business, in particular in the north, when we talk about giving people a say as to whether or not this would apply, giving a simple majority of people in Northern Ireland a say as to whether or not they want this kind of situation to continue. So, Minister, you're contradicting Sammy Wilson, and you could very well be right. I suppose people will make up their own minds on which of you is right, uh, but there are people who believe Sammy Wilson is right, and it seems as though you're never going to change Sammy Wilson's point of view. And We heard somebody earlier on say that this is not a deal. This is treason, uh, and it's selling out the people of Northern Ireland. Uh, And that's one of the reasons why this looks set to fail tomorrow. So if this deal fails tomorrow, or when this deal fails tomorrow, what then? Well, again, I don't accept that this deal may fail. I don't accept that it's treason. I think we have to go back to the fact that the majority of people in Northern Ireland not only voted to remain in the EU, but the majority of people supported the idea and the objectives of the backstop. And so all of what I've just listed out as the current objectives that are achieved in this deal, mm. they are the exact same to those in the backstop. So but do you accept, Minister, that, that no matter how many... The majority of people support the backstop Mm. and the objectives. I I don't accept that it's treason to Northern Ireland. In fact, I think, if anything, Northern Ireland will now have unfettered access to the UK market, but it will also still have access to the single market Mm. and to the 400-plus million people in the Uh, European Union market. uh, And Minister, Minister, with respect, I'm not trying to contradict you, but do you accept that no matter how many times you repeat it, you're not going to convince Sammy Wilson, the DUP, or their supporters? And and I'm not trying to do that, I suppose. I'm, I'm trying to explain maybe to those who are listening, what does this deal do? What exactly does it mean for them? So people, if you are farming, if you are trading north of the border, if you have family living along the border, what does this deal mean? And it essentially means that in as much as possible, business can continue. There won't be any introduction of barriers. There won't be any introduction of tariffs. 
It means that the all-Ireland economy can continue to flourish. But it also means that if you are in Northern Ireland and if you are trading with the UK, that will continue. And I think specifically what has been developed here, and, and you know, maybe you're right, we, you know, if, if the DUP don't go for this or they don't support it, I, I would like to think that they would because what it essentially means is that we have a unique solution for Northern Ireland, which still protects Northern Ireland as part of the territorial integrity of, of the UK, but allows them to continue their trade. It allows uh, business uh, to continue to, to, to engage south of the border, but allows people to live their lives. And, and I think those who were impacted so much by the troubles don't want us moving or taking steps backwards. And I sincerely believe that this deal allows us to move forward. If Boris Johnson... on Saturday, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if the numbers are there. Mm. We can all speculate. Well, We've mm. seen it on papers on, on different programmes and yourself. I'm sure you've been analysing this. We don't know if it will pass. If it doesn't pass, then I think we have to cross that bridge when we yeah, come if to it passes, Minister. If it passes at this stage, it seems as though it'll be a miracle of sorts and uh, Boris Johnson will have it passed by the skin of his teeth and probably uh, be the person who's more surprised than anybody, should that be the case. Uh, if it's not the case, uh, well, then we're into a, a general election, most likely. And uh, is it fair to say that if that is uh, the case, uh, that... It's all but inevitable and should have been seen by the European leaders and that Ireland and the other 26 countries have helped to launch Boris Johnson and the Conservative Party's general election campaign. Well, the only way that I would look at it is that our objective and our goal was to get a deal with the Prime Minister. It's not up to me. It's not up to Michel Barnier, who is leading the task force. And it's not up to the 26 other countries to strike a deal to, that we know will essentially be passed by the House of Commons. It's up to the Prime Minister to ensure that the deal that he makes with the EU is possible. And he has. Did he convince you he has the numbers? Just, well, he has said, not just yesterday at the European Council when he addressed mm. the 27 other leaders, but he has said many times that he believes he can get this deal passed. The deal hasn't actually, or the, the vote hasn't happened yet. So I think we heard that before in uh, December uh, 17, wasn't it, when Theresa May said the same and uh, the Taoiseach described it as a, a bulletproof deal? Well, we can only deal with the Prime Minister. So there is nothing more at this stage that we can do. We have a deal with the Prime Minister. We have to pass it to him to see if it mm. goes through the House of Commons. If it doesn't pass through the House of Commons, then yes, the likelihood is, and we know he has already indicated that he will apply the letter of the law, that he will seek an extension as he is required to do under the Ben Act. He will then come to the, the European Council. But I think there will have to be quite a, a clear and straight-lined request or an ask for that extension mm. on the basis of either an election on the basis of another referendum or as, as people have often said possibly revoking Article 50 but I would think the first two are more likely and then it's up to the EU 27, Ireland included, to decide whether or not to grant that. So I mean our role and our position here has always been how do we achieve our objectives and how do we make sure that we have a deal with the Prime Minister, with the government. What do how you say to... Through the House of Parliament, mm. it, it's not for us. We, we cannot dictate and cannot judge how something will pass or not. No, OK, but what do you say to cynics like me who would argue uh, that you've uh, agreed to a deal that was designed to fail? I don't accept that at all. Um, and I think that the deal that we currently have, albeit different to Theresa May's deal, fulfills the objectives, not just from an Irish government point of view in terms of the border peace process, the all-island economy and the single market, but it achieves the objectives of the EU26 
other countries and also that of the UK mm. because it allows them to leave in an orderly fashion. It ensures that we have a no, that we avoid a no deal. And I do sincerely think, given the fact that it was the only uh, time we saw a clear majority in the House of Commons, and that was to avoid a no deal. So it allows them to leave in an orderly fashion. It prevents uh, a no deal. The fact that they are leaving the customs union, which was a significant objective of the Prime Minister, and I think many mm. in, in the UK and Northern Ireland, that is still the case. But it allows us to then start talking about a future relationship one, and again, if you look at the wording that talks about being ambitious, broad, we have a level playing field as well that's very clearly outlined. So, you know, mm. I think the objectives have not just been met from an Irish government point of view, but also from a UK point of view. So, from my but Minister, you know, looking at this to say it will fail, I don't accept that it will also Would you agree, fail. though, that if it fails, albeit hypothetically, and we'll know tomorrow, but if it fails tomorrow, would you agree that Boris Johnson will be in a very strong position going into an election? He said he'd get a deal. He got a deal. He has the support of 27 countries for the deal that he's brokered with Europe. Uh, if that's rejected by the MPs, well, that's not his fault. Uh, he said that he would leave with or without a deal, but they won't let him leave. That's not his fault. Uh, and he'd have to go to an election. Uh, and who could say anything but fair play to you, Boris. You did everything that you said you would do uh, and you tried to uh, introduce uh, the Brexit in the way that the people voted for in June of 2016, but everybody else uh, was against you. It's of no consequence to me whether or not the Prime Minister wins an election. But would you agree that it would put him in a very strong position if that fails tomorrow? Well, I mean, you have to look at it from the point of view that he is currently the Prime Minister. He is the person that we are working with. And if there is an election and after that election, he is still the Prime Minister, we will continue to work with him. If there is an election, the Prime Minister, I would assume, and I can only assume, will be campaigning on the basis of the deal that he has just agreed to with the House or with with the EU. So it it really doesn't make any difference to us as a country or to the EU um, if there is a change in Prime Minister. Obviously, that will make a difference. But the fact that we have negotiated a deal with Boris Johnson if he is re-elected as Prime Minister, I would assume that it would be on the basis of this deal and it would give him a mandate to pass it. At the moment, he doesn't have that majority and that's why there's speculation as to whether or not he can get it through. I believe this is a good deal for Ireland. I believe it's a good deal for Northern Ireland, Mm. for the UK and for the rest of the EU. And if he were to be re-elected with a majority... It would be on the basis of this deal, which obviously would be easier to pass. So, you know, I think it's, mm. it's, it's, it's a lot of speculation. It's not something that I should really and, and, and kind of steer away from commenting on politics in the UK. But from our point of view, he is the prime minister we're working with. If there is an election and he is still prime minister, we will continue to work with him. I think obviously the difference that arises is where or if there was a different prime minister with different goals, different objectives, who tries to look at a different uh, approach to a deal, then we're, we're looking at something much longer. And, and, you know, I think at this stage, three years on, so many people who are listening to this and, and listening to your show who just want certainty. They want to know that all of these objectives that we've set that they're fulfilled, that they're achieved, and that we can start talking about the future relationship because okay, our North South trade is extremely mm. important. But East West, 
is just as important and obviously we cannot get into those details until we actually have a proper discussion on the future relationship. Well, the uncertainty will continue until uh, this is either ratified tomorrow or there's a a general election or a referendum or both. Uh, And uh, is it uh, that uh, the leaders are planning another summit at the end of uh, this month to agree on an extension? And how long will that extension run for, do you think, Minister? So there has been no request for an extension. So as of now, leaders are currently in in a meeting and they're discussing uh, the next strategic agenda for the EU for the next five years. So until there is a request or an ask, and if there is a request or an ask, um, then I think legally there doesn't need to be a, a meeting held. But I think politically it's something that would happen and would have to happen. But when, whether it's Friday, Sunday, the 31st of October or or what uh, kind of setting it would be I don't know and depending on what the ask is it's obviously difficult to say what the response might be so Mm. it's all hypothetical but there's nothing planned there's nothing has been discussed here leaders are getting on with the the business of the European Union outside of um, Brexit last night we talked about enlargement we talked about the difficulties in, in Turkey and as I've said today we're talking about the next strategic agenda the next plan for the EU over the five years so there's a lot of other things that are happening and going on if Boris Johnson requests an extension then I think there will be a reconvening Um, but when that is what that looks like and and for how long it's very hard to tell. Minister thank you indeed for joining us here on the programme this morning it's going to be a a long weekend uh, and uh, I'm sure uh, there'll be a lot of interest in what's happening in London this weekend Uh, but thanks uh, for joining us from Brussels uh, this morning the Minister for European Affairs Helen McEntee. Michael Reed on LMFM. The future of Dunboyne College of Further Education was raised in the Dáil yesterday. The Minister for Education, Joe McHugh, was asked about a permanent site and when that would be in place to build a permanent school. It's a, it's a timeline where the frustration here is, and I appreciate that. May 2018, Department officials gave approval to LMETB to advertise to seek expressions of interest for a suitable site to accommodate Dunboyne. Uh, uh, College for Further Education requiring that any identified sites be technically uh, appraised and that the reports of the technical appraisal be made available to my department. September 18, the department approved the appointment of a consultant to support them in the site identification process. July 2019, LMETB provided details on their preferred site and requested, requested approval to make an offer. The site in question was considerably larger than expected and the anticipated acquisition costs were significant due to its partial residential zoning. The reports of the technical appraisal have not uh, yet been received. On the 3rd of October 2019, LMETB advised that the Department was not in a position to consider the proposal further until such time as a broader strategy was agreed in respect of further education provision and associated accommodation requirement. Minister Joe McHugh, he was responding uh, to Labour's Joan Burton and uh, Fianna Fáil's Thomas Byrne. Uh, Minister, when you say that a number of leases are in place, I think there's six 16 uh, separate buildings, 14 leases, and 100 students are being bused to Navin every day. I have a constituent who comes from Ardcat uh, to Dunboyne and then has to get a bus uh, to Navin. This is absolutely outrageous that this was cancelled. This is another result uh, of your department and you, Minister, accepting a reduction in the capital budget. 
Minister, that at a minimum you should either visit the college yourself, which you would be very welcome to do, or you should meet the, the uh, deputies from the area uh, that students actually attend uh, this particular college. Fianna Fáil TD, Thomas Byrne, uh, his party's his spokesperson on education is on the line now. And a very good morning to you and uh, thank you for joining us here on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Uh, the Minister outlining uh, the timeline there and some of uh, the problems uh, that there have been in realising a site for the college, uh, but it, it seems as though you're not accepting what he said. Well, I mean, various reasons were given. I mean, the, the reason given officially is that they're waiting on a further education strategy. I mean, that's that's just bizarre. I mean, they told the LMETB to go out last year and look for a site. They, they were told to do that. Um, if the issue is cost, then that wasn't said officially. I certainly don't want them overpaying for sites at all. Uh, but they knew what they were getting into when they asked. Well, he did uh, say uh, that he, yesterday, didn't he? He said that. Well, he said it in the yeah, doll, but yeah. it, that was not the that was not the written reason given by officials. To, well, he he said it very clearly yesterday yeah. in a, a considered response uh, that the anticipated costs were significant. Yeah, and what I would say to that is, why did they send LMATB off looking for a site, knowing uh, the costs in the area? The costs are high, there's no doubt about it. Mm. But they're also a fraction uh, of the costs that the department would have paid for sites in Dublin, for schools. Well, you said the site was larger than had been anticipated and uh, it was due to residential zoning as well. I don't want want an extra large site. I want a site here that will fish a college which has about a thousand students um, about two-thirds of them coming from Mead, the rest coming from West Dublin, uh, serving a fantastic purpose. It's currently, mm. uh, as I said yesterday, in about 16 buildings, including now in Navin, because they simply don't have space uh, in Dunboyne. And I think it's about time uh, that the town got this college. It serves a huge catchment area. And, you know, at a time when business is showing, showing huge confidence uh, in the Dunboyne and South Mead area, like various industries have moved in, you've yeah. you Shire, etc. Mm. Um, it's time the government showed a bit of uh, interest in it as well. Well, do you not think the government is showing an interest in it? Well, they've, they've told LMETB that they're not going to consider this further until there's a this strategy developed for further education. I mean, But that, until, that, I mean, as the Minister said yesterday, there's a €300 million Euro investment earmarked for projects such as this, and this is not... Sorry, sorry, sorry. There's not... I mean, this is this is the National Development Plan they keep talking about. I mean, they, they went ahead and cut this at the last minute in the budget. Um, after figures were agreed with us, they went in and they took €22 million off it. Now, I can, my understanding is that the, the, the price of this size will be a fraction of that cut, um, and that's that's the problem that we have here, that they simply don't seem to be interested. First of all, I'd say in further education, uh, because it's crucially important that we want to develop the skills economy, if we want to solve uh, the third level crisis, we're going to have to develop a further education. Mead does not have a post-secondary school facility other than Boyne College. Uh, there's three across the LMFM area. You've Dundalk, you've Diffie and Drada. Diffie has fabulous facilities uh, there. Uh, and I think it's only right then, geographically then, to Boyne College is ideally located, that they're all in a, in a line almost uh, and that it does deserve a proper building. And this, apart from giving, you know, a good facility to the staff who deserve it uh, and the students who deserve it, of course, as well, it would be a signature investment for the area. Uh, and I think it's, it's it's about time that the government did this because this, is, this isn't something that's just mm. cropped up in the last, uh, you know, few months or a couple of years. This has gone on for years and years and years. Eventually, it's got uh, a separate role number. It is actually a separate school, mm. a separate college. Um, but uh, the, the, the interest in providing a site doesn't seem to be there. And you know, I don't think they should Do have really sent LMETB off Do you doing really a lot think of work. That? Do you really think that, or are you? Are you just playing politics? Uh, are you a bit of a, a cha- are you a bit of a chancer? 
sorry, Michael. Well, that's, I'm sorry. That's, I, I, that's, I'm sorry, Michael. That, that, is not, that is not appropriate language on, on the radio to describe anybody. If I call someone else that, I'd probably be sued. I don't think that's appropriate language to use. Well, well, I, well, I well do, you, do, 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 do you blame me for wondering if that's the case based on what Joe McHugh said to you yesterday? Oh, I do blame you, Michael, actually. I think that's utterly inappropriate for saying that. Um, what I'm saying, what I'm saying... Well, no, what, 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 what I'm well, saying is that Joe, Joe, McHugh gave me, Joe McHugh gave me the impression that you were playing politics with this. Well, sure, that's what Finnegan are going to do when they're under pressure. I mean, we have another minister in the constituency, Minister Doherty, telling people that, oh, yeah, it's still in the capital plan, nothing to worry about. But clearly there is something uh, to be concerned about here. Uh, this is a major, an issue of major importance. Uh, the Department of Education told LME to be mm. to go off and look for a site last year, and now uh, they've pulled back on it. One would have thought that they would have given them mm. some guidance uh, as to, you know, the type of money, the type of location, the type of size mm. uh, that's required. Uh, we don't have to get, you know, a super-duper very large site. That's okay. not required, but what is required is a permanent building, not 16 separate buildings, including now in Navan. Okay. Uh, and by, uh, the way, and, and, by the way, Michael, they're costing 750000 per annum. Okay, but uh, what I'm saying to you is that those points were dismissed out of hand by the Minister, and I'm not asking you to respond... I'm not asking you to respond to me. I'm asking you to respond to the impression that the Minister gave anybody listening to him yesterday. Uh, and I'll just let our listeners hear what he had to say. Let's be honest. We can stand up in the House and pretend that A equals, that 1 plus 1 equals 2 or 1 plus 1 equals 4. Like, Deputy, you stand up here saying that we're not committed to uh, further education and training. There was no capital plan for further education and training under your government. There never was. There is a £300 million, uh, investment for this. I want to see this moving forward. There is a great uh, legacy and tradition of third-level training in Meath. You're right pointing out uh, that it doesn't have um, a university or uh, IOT or anything like that, but it does have Drogheda Institute of Further Education, Dunboyne College of Further Education and Ophia College in Dundalk. So, what I, would like, what I would like to say is this. What I'd like to say is this. We have a deputy here saying, just go ahead. doesn't matter what size the scale is. doesn't matter what the cost is. Just go and buy it. On the other hand, you're telling us we're not frugal enough. We're overspending. So sometimes I don't know what you're asking me to do, deputy. And the deputy will appreciate that the acquisition, acquisitions of such magnitude must be carefully considered and that any, any curricular requirement for land above what would be typically provided for further education college, it must be assessed in the context of further education more generally. Right, that's Minister Joe McHugh. I don't think you got a chance to respond to him in uh, the doll yesterday. No, and I, and I, I have no difficulty whatsoever. But you see where I'm coming sure from getting... there and what, what I said about the interpretation. He's saying that you're pretending no, 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 but, but you're pretending my, no black is white. I want white. the department to be ruthless about the mm, prices. He, he's saying that when in government to... Fianna Fáil didn't have a capital plan. That's, he's saying that on one hand you're saying one true. thing, on the other hand you're saying another true. thing. I mean, you look at various colleges of further education that are built around the place. They didn't just... They weren't just donated, like you know, by, by by foreign entities or something. They were built by Irish governments over the years, um, so that's not true. Um, but what I would say is, I I don't blame the department for mm. being ruthless in, in getting the extracting the best possible value they need to, and I've been calling for them to do that. Mm. But what I do object to is simply writing them saying we're not going to consider this further until we review further education a year after telling uh, LMETB to go off and look for a site. Mm. That is not efficient. I mean, there would have been money spent. Apart from the huge money spent on rent every year, which is dead money, there would have been money spent engaging professionals uh, mm. to look for a site, and that's now been wasted in this in this process. Okay, uh, on, on reflection, now that you've listened to what the minister said Sorry, again, I was listening to him in the dark. No, I know, I but, uh, but 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 uh, on reflection, uh, 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 reflecting on the conversation I had with you earlier on, uh, can you understand? 
why I interpreted what he said to mean what I said. Well, sir, I mean, I, I, I've no doubt that's what he said and yes. that's what he meant. But what I'm doing is challenging him on that and, and saying that, in fact, he's wrong. In fact, I'm not looking for him to overspend. I'm looking for him to actually do something and get, get a site at the best possible value uh, to make sure that the, to do what they said they would do a year ago, uh, which is procure a site. Uh, and that's what I'm asking them to so, do. So, so, you, so you, you agree Joe McHugh called you to all intents and purposes, certainly gave the impression that you're a chancer, that you make it up as you go along. You say one thing on one hand uh, and then something else on the other hand. And you continue to support him and his government. Michael, we have we have facilitated this government over three years. The country is going through a major crisis in terms of Brexit. Uh, we have continued that. Michael Martin decided that last December uh, to continue. And you let and, and you let him tell people that oh, you're sorry, a chancer. Sorry, I'm, I'm, Michael, I'm I'm not given the opportunity to respond to that. That's the rules of those questions. My, my but I'm giving you the opportunity point. here this morning. Well, I'm I'm completely rejecting it, and I'm saying I can't. You know, I, once Brexit is sorted, we we are eager and anxious for a general election to replace this government because what's, what this government is great at is making the announcement. You can bet your life, and if you look back at your press releases, there would have been fabulous press releases from local ministers announcing that the site is now going to be bought, probably multiple press releases. Mm. And then when it comes to delivery, they're not able to deliver. Well, I think that. that's that, that's one thing that you and uh, Minister McHugh will uh, agree on, that that's not going to happen in the immediate future, and it's uh, some way off. Uh, we leave it there for the moment, and thank you indeed for joining us here this morning. Thomas Byrne, Fianna Fáil TD in Meath East, and Fianna Fáil's spokesperson on education. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, if uh, you're reading uh, the Star today, uh, you may see a photograph of Luke Owens. He's a 19-year-old who's been very badly injured, or at least he was very badly injured, and there's a photograph of his injury and uh, how his nose needed plastic surgery. His mother, Lisa, is on uh, the phone with us now. And a very good morning to you, Lisa, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, it was a pretty bad surgery that required plastic surgery, as I understand from Jerry Han's article today. It did, Michael. It did. It was a very severe um, injury he received. Right. And how did it happen? Well, uh, just a, um, a football match there, you know, and just an off-the-ball incident, which I'm just very disgusted and disappointed as in the way that the CC, the local CC, treated the incident, you know. Mm. Uh, just got the call. He was in casualty to come up. I thought maybe just a broken nose or something. Really, just really what it is in the hospital there. And um, when I seen him, then oh my god, I couldn't believe it. The surgeon couldn't believe it. The nurse thought it was maybe a hurley stick he was hit with. Couldn't believe that this was done with a fist. Maybe you know. Was it a fist? So, was it a punch? Well, it was a punch to yeah. the face. Yeah, yeah. yeah. punch. And then so. When the, local, the surgeon in Navin looked at him, he says, oh my God, I can't do that with this. He says, because the cartilage has slipped right through. We need to get you to the Maha, plastics. So straight up there, because there was only, seemingly there's only a, a window on these kind of in, injuries, 16 hours. So he told us anyway, you know. Mm. So um, got up there. They were as shocked as Navin was as to say it was a fist and not a hurley stick or something, do you know? Yeah. And um, anyway, thank God he got seen to, and the plastics were, done a fantastic job but it doesn't still seems fair that something like this can happen yeah and um that the cc can do nothing for you to help get a suspension you know so it it had nothing to do with sport or playing you called it an off the ball incident uh, which is in effect playing a football match yeah and but 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 he just happened to be playing a football match Uh, that's by the way it was an assault wasn't it 
Well, that's what I'd like to call it, Michael, but in the, in the GEA, they don't call it that. They call it more of an infriction, you know, so it's... Right. But that's the way it is. So, but it's just sad that the CC can't do nothing about it. So I had to do my own little bit of homework and I have it now gone to Crow Park for an appeal there and to be a hearing. And what about the guards? Uh, can uh, an assault not be reported to the guards? It can. It can be reported to the guards, yes. And um, we have begun to the guards. But Luke is 19, you know, and he's a fair man and uh, he loves the sport and all that. And he feels the GEA should be responsible for, you know, giving out the correct punishment for this. You know, mm. it's, it's not right that you have to go to the guards either. Mm. When you're playing on a GEA pitch and... I know there's plenty of spectators and this, that and the other, but why can, why can the, I think the CC, the legislation there should be overlooked and because really and truly, what's the need for the CC if they can't do that and if their hands are tied and if they go by reports that they're given? Mm. You know? It's it's a funny attitude, isn't it? Um, you know, uh, you were playing better than me or you pulled somebody's jersey or uh, whatever it was uh, that happened on the sports field justifies an assault of that sort. Uh, if somebody robbed my wallet on the street and I punched them in the face and broke their nose several times to the extent that they needed uh, plastic surgery, uh, I don't think there'd be any justification for it. Yeah. No. So why why should the pitch be any different? Like they're saying that they're trying to get violence off the pitch, and you know they're trying to make a, a non-violent game. You know, you go out to play a game of football; it's to play. Mm. You're not going into a ring. You're not. You know, like it just is that the you know take a frustration out on the other player or whatever. I'm not saying I'm wearing saints, like you know, because I'm not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, we're yeah, all yeah, on the same road. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I'd like to think, oh my God, you know, where's the justice? Mm. And what, what is the idea of the CC? Well, when you turn a blind eye to it, you're kind of endorsing it. You're saying it's okay or it doesn't matter. Yeah, and I just feel like a lot of people say, oh, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. Well, this is my mountain and I'm, I'm going to make it and I want it. Mm. I want it seen for what it is and that it shouldn't be allowed to be brushed on. And maybe the GEA needs to look at the legislation off the county boards mm. and get it different that they can take in witnesses and they can, you know, yeah. do their own little bit of investigation and get a suspension. Uh, and this happened last July. How long was Luke in hospital for? Um, well, he was lucky enough. He was uh, the two days. You know, he was in that night okay. and the next day. And yeah. my God. That's serious enough. He was in an operation, obviously, and uh, yeah. undoubtedly yeah. went through a lot of pain. And uh, I presume he's all right now, is he? Thank God, he's, there's no bother on him. No Walking scars, and, no scars, yeah. nothing like that. Oh, well, he has scar, but like yeah. that's you're bound to have that after having right. surgery. He has had, you <laughs> okay. know. But with his age, his age is there, and hopefully it'll heal to yeah. nearly nothing, you know. Yeah, well, let's hope so. All right, thanks for uh, talking to us uh, on the program this morning, Lisa. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. See you. All right. Lisa Owens there. Uh, And uh, that brings our programme to its uh, conclusion uh, this week. Uh, Remember, there'll be a podcast of today's programme available on our website, lmfm.ie, this afternoon if you'd like to listen back for some reason. Thanks to Marie Kearns for producing, Maggie McGuire for researching, and Chris Marie in the control tower. I hope you've a lovely weekend, and God willing, we'll see you for our next programme on Monday morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie. 
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.